With your help, we can continue to fight for freedom, reach new audiences, and bring important information to the public free of charge. This is not possible without your generosity. Join our quest for the truth and our freedom and donate today. Simply go to tntradio.live. Deconstructing PSYOPs, propaganda, and mainstream media garbage. Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk TNT. Welcome to today's show. Uh, it's Pella Neroth-Taylor show on TNT, and we're going to talk about Julian Assange, who, of course, is uh, whose case is at uh, the courts in London to determine whether he can, he's able to appeal uh, against an extradition order to go to the United States uh, and perhaps spend the rest of his life in a dungeon there for uh, the work uh, carried out in the last 10 or 15 years uh, using uh, his organization WikiLeaks to expose the misdeeds of uh, the American deep state. Now, I think that, um, I don't want to comment on the on the case itself, but I want to draw attention to the work of WikiLeaks a little because uh, there's been so much attention on Assange, Julian Assange, the man. I mean, his supporters rightly have, uh, or interestingly and, and predictably perhaps, have uh, talked about Assange as this sort of um, cyber character hero with nomadic instincts, his silver hair and and trendy clothes and his nomadic habits, his his laptop containing the world's secrets and his uh, his uh, credit card always on the blink, but somehow always finding people to support him. And his, uh, his almost incomprehensible knowledge of uh, cyber hacking and his, his, his sort of quasi-philosophical uh, deep thoughts about how the world should be constructed. And then this interesting man standing up against uh, the the powers that be to reveal uh, the secrets that we all felt have been kept from us uh, in the period when he started to be active in the late 2000s uh, when the Iraq war and its disastrous consequences had become apparent to all of us and the way that the media had lied to us and the suspicions growing that there was in- in- grow incredibly close and un- unhealthy relationships between the mainstream media and the intelligence agencies. He came like a, a bolt out of the blue and seemed to be a pathfinder. And of course, many of us are looking for messiah figures and uh, rescuers, and perhaps Trump is benefiting from some of that yearning as well today. Uh, but just the, the fact that he was a, a psychological uh, lodestar for many people um, shouldn't obscure us to his very real achievements. Uh, neither should, and just to sort of uh, dismiss some of the critiques against him. I mean, as I said, it, it's um, it's a common technique in, in psyops when you want to uh, destroy a person or destroy a person's movement is you isolate him from the, the the movement he represents and the political forces that stand behind him by focusing on the man uh, and his weaknesses. So in Assange's case, his unwillingness to flush a toilet when he was staying with people, his, his all too loose attitude towards women, his almost uh, autistic uh, mannerism sometimes, the way he uh, also his obscurity when he was talking. I mean, when you really listened to him, you found that he was quite a deep man there, but you of course could sound bite, take sound bites and he came across as a bit of a lunatic. Um, and of course, talking about Assange all the time, rather than the movement he represented. In, in a similar way, let's say we could talk about Putin. I don't don't want to associate him too much with uh, Assange, but uh, rather than saying that the Putin represents the will of many Russians to to sort of uh, bondage to which Europe, Western Europe, now found itself bound, 
uh, and Putin is just a figurehead. So if someone got rid of Putin, there would be other figures like him, possibly even less liberal. Whereas Assange as well represented a, a, a worldwide movement for clarity and transparency and feeling that our intelligence agencies were, were playing a, a game behind our backs and where they were not accountable. But of course, focusing on Assange, I think he even felt as well, he's probably a bit narcissistic as well, but he was taking up too much space and he was always happiest talking about ideas and uh, if you actually listened and read his book, uh, I think it was called Cyber Cypherpunks or something like that. Again, he would be much happier talking about that than his uh, conquests of women and, and things like that. Um, so what did Assange actually achieve? Well, I mean, he, the leaks that he... TNT's Steve Malsberg. I've said that she is a selfish witch and that she's abusing her elderly husband so she could remain first lady. I've been saying that for a long time that she ought to be ashamed of herself, but she's not. She played second fiddle to Michelle Obama for eight friggin' years. Yep. Michelle Obama hated the place, could yep. not wait to leave the White House mm -hmm. so she could go make millions writing books and selling non-existent shows on Netflix, Yes, which is fine. And that's Good what racket. you do post-presidency. Yeah. Jill Biden could not wait to live in the White House and now she does not want to leave. Yeah. I could not agree with her more. I've been saying this over and over and over again. Steve Malzberg on today's News Talk TNT. TNT is an independent global news talk station that does what others only say they do. TNT is a live radio and TV broadcaster that simply tells the truth 24 hours a day, seven days a week. No one in the world does what we do. Crisscrossing the globe, providing credible news and opinion all day and all night. In two and a half years, TNT has become a credible and exciting platform with brilliant hosts and staff. It's a critical time, and we must continue to call out the misinformation and propaganda from mainstream media and their powerful sponsors. We're now appealing to our many friends and supporters around the world to go to TNTradio.live and make a small donation to TNT while we seek the right investors to continue our important mission. Are we on the air? Am I on the air? You're on the air. On the air 24-7, your news talk giant, TNT. Hello, welcome back to TNT, the Pelle Neroth Taylor Show, talking about propaganda, deep state, and everything in between. We welcome today David Gress, who's a, a Danish academic and professor, and who's written a book about From Plato to NATO, History of the West. Um, David, um, have you been following the Assange affair? And uh, do you factor in intelligence issues in your analyses of geopolitics? Uh, thanks, Pelle. Glad to be here. Well, well not very much. I, I'm not an intelligence expert, never really have been. But of course, one takes note of these things because Assange is a very prominent person and he is being set up for something that he may not have done. I don't know. But um, no, I can't say I do very much because it's kind of a little bit beyond my, my thing. I'm more of a historian, intellectual historian. Uh, so maybe in historical perspective, to some extent, but not so much the current, current events. What... Um... Tell us about, because your book, it's almost, uh, it's really made a name for itself. Can you tell us about what the overall picture is, how it tells its story and what it's about? Well, it's sort of ironic, actually, because the title from Plato Tornado is ironic because I'm, what I'm doing there is I'm looking back at the standard story that, that was being told last century about the history of the West, which is it began with the Greeks evolved through the Roman Empire, the Middle Ages, the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, 
liberalism, and so on. And I was saying, well, yeah, okay, that's not completely wrong, but it's only a very small part of the part of the story because there are so many other countervailing tendencies through history that have operated then faded away. It's not a logical story by any means. It's a very convoluted one. So I was trying to tell that different story. Now, were I writing this book today, I would be much more forthright about the values of the West because back then when I wrote that book back in the 90s, early 2000s, uh, it wasn't really questioned. We just had Ronald Reagan in the U.S. The Cold War had ended. West, West had won, or so we thought. So everything looked 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 good. And I was saying, yes, but don't believe because we got this far that things will just go on and getting better and better and better. I was kind of sounding a little bit of, a, of an alarm note there that now, alas, has been proven, you know, correct. Mm. So what you're saying is we have a what how would you change your book if it were written today then uh, in in terms of a defense of the west Well Pella obviously I would be much more alert to things like mass invasion the whole wokery propaganda thing the uh alphabet soup sexuality thing I mean these attacks on the heart of the west which to my mind is reason faith Christianity and just yeah prosperity. Hmm. These attacks are much more severe now than they were back then, much more obvious. And hmm. I think those of us who think the West has something to offer need to be much more forthright about what is, what is we're, de we're defending. We, we shouldn't be coy and say, yeah, well, the West was full of bad things, you know, slavery, and I don't know hmm. what, you know. No, 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 that that's maybe true, but it's totally beside the point because our enemies are not going to care whether we, whether we cringe over slavery or not. They want to destroy us. And that mm. I didn't quite understand then. I thought, well, yeah, you have you have you have opponents, but you can talk to them. We all believe mm. in reason and 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 logic and progress. Mm. Well, the fact is, we don't, and that's what mm. I would do differently today. Mm. So, who are our opponents? Are there opponents within, or are they international opponents? Is it is it groupings? Is it oligarchs? Is it individuals? Is it nation states? Is it terrorist movements? Is it academics with strange ideas? Well, it's all of the above, really, Pele, because what we have is we have the deep state in almost all Western countries. We have the, the academy, which has been taken over more or less by, by, by the ruling ideologies of wokery and feminism and et cetera, et cetera. Uh, so I would say they're a bit everywhere. Uh, mm. The battle is going on in all these all these theaters. I mean, in the university, there are still reasonable people, uh, but they're a minority. They're fighting a rearguard action against the the tide of, of unreason and propaganda. So it's, it's everywhere. Are you in the university still, University of Do you have colleagues who are still fighting? Uh, I have colleagues. The they probably wouldn't want me uh, anymore. But uh, yeah, I have colleagues. I talk to them sometimes. But most of them have either retreated to their little ivory tower as much as they can, or they just, you know, they, they just shut up. They don't, they don't want to fight the battle anymore. Um, of course, mm. we have countervailing tendencies there too. We have new, new universities uh, in Austin, Texas, for example, University, University of Austin. And I just read yesterday that the state of Utah is establishing a statewide um, university initiative to combat ignorance and propaganda and promote the study of American history, American values. Mm. Uh, so there are there are countervailing tendencies, but I think we have to accept that the big bastions, my own university, Cambridge, England, for example, mm. largely lost. Harvard, largely lost. Uh, 
Mm. Um, so I think what they're doing in Austin, what they're doing in Utah is the right thing. You create new institutions and then you find there are lots of people who would be happy to to serve mm. there who can't get jobs in the regular academy. So there's no there's no shortage of, of candidates. So it's mm. just a matter of getting started. Well, well, one thought is, I mean, we when we say we, and I think a lot of viewers and listeners here will say the we is sort of conservative with a small C people who, I don't know, although you and I are a different generation, both our generations have the same view of the world. I guess I grew up in the 1980s and we've had, had this radicalization, but one at some point, unless we exterminate young people, they will become the we, you know, they will become the reference point. Death kills uh, people. I mean, that ends everything and that becomes the new reality. So how can, I mean, it, it's, it's, it's a losing fight. It's interesting because I'm, I'm quite, um, Pro Sweden's NATO anti neutrality policy, and it's been neutral for 200 years, it served Sweden well. But the only people who can make an argument against NATO are, are men over 80. I mean, that's quite incredible. I mean, there is a case against, for and against NATO, uh, but there's no one making it who's under 50 or, un, you know, uh, and the, the most articulate ones are literally dying out. So we will have a new world whether we want it or not. I mean, that's the, the sort of um, worrying thing. And then he went, maybe won't be the West anymore. Um, we can, because because I was thinking a lot about the, let's say the the immigration issue was, you know, why bring in uh, is is Muslims who have radically different values, uh, and uh, they, they they don't believe in the West. Well, I mean, some people on the right said, well, you can always uh, export them, send them back home, or whatever, but you can't do the same to your children. If you, your your children, if white children, as it were, have totally different values, what are you going to do about it? How are we going to reverse well, the tide as a, as a professor well, and perhaps can, a father or well, grandfather? Well, um, you got you to start small. You got to start with your own family. Uh, this thing about the young people being, being, being all on one side is true. You, you read the poll data, you see how they vote. But again and again, many of them do eventually come to reason, grow up and, and change their minds. Um, I'm sorry about the, the NATO debate in Sweden because I think the, the arguments against NATO would be fairly easy to make. But, um, but, um, but when I look around Scandinavia, especially, I see this monolithic block of ideas. Right, uh, Putin evil, mm -hmm. Trump evil, uh, West bad, mass invasion good, uh, mass immigration good, all this mm -hmm. stuff. I see it. Mm -hmm. I know that. But when you talk to people, people. It's like a double consciousness you get. Uh, and mm. my local friends here in Denmark, they will say the one thing, but mm. they won't act it. I mean, they mm -hmm. would not actually be consistent with what the, what they say in in their in their mm. own personal lives. And we see this everywhere. I think we see it in America too, where 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 I have children living. Um, and that that's the problem. The problem is the double consciousness. Um, mm -hmm. I have family members in, in in Baltimore, which is one of the worst cities in America, and they were delighted two years ago because the new mayor of Baltimore was a black man. Everything was going to be better. They knew that wasn't true, but they felt they had to say it, say these words. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, the real, the big problem is this, this refusal of too many people to, to be honest with themselves mm -hmm. about what they really believe. Mm -hmm. Uh, by the way, a small uh, we you're from you're you're in Denmark and I'm in Sweden and I, I guess when you're talking to a global audience like we are here, these are really small 
really small, irrelevant countries in the global scheme of things. But we in Scandinavia, of course, know our differences, you know, and um, free thinkers in Sweden have always looked to Denmark as the most free of the Scandinavian countries. Uh, and, you know, you make a point of pride that you have free speech like almost no other European country. And the Danes are more outspoken, definitely, than the Swedes or the Finns and the Norwegians. You know about all this debate and they make fun of us, the Danes. Uh, but I've seen on this, like the NATO and Putin issue, the the Danes are almost more brainwashed than anyone else. Um, <laughs> I mean, I have a lot of Danish friends on Facebook for some reason, because I made an anti-immigration film a few years ago. So they all sought out my friendship. And uh, there's this meme going in Denmark with blue Putin with a blood-soaked face. And they all reposting it. I mean, we're talking about grannies who make baking cakes and, and cats mm. the mainstay of their Facebook usage. And now just having... They're totally non-political people, and hundreds of them are posting the same anti-Putin memes. So what's going? You know, Denmark has also fought, fallen into the. Um, you were also, you were free also in the anti-immigration debate. You know, you could criticize Islam, and of course you had the, uh, the 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 cartoons thing, which for us in Scandinavia established you as kind of brave free speakers. But so Denmark's gone the, the way of the rest of the West in terms of its fear fear of diverse opinion. Yeah, well, that's, more, that's the yeah. problem with yeah. That's a problem with, with high trust society. I mean, Danes tend to believe the mass media. I mm. I, I, can't, I can't fathom why, because I, I've lived in America and England where where there, there is more diversity of opinion. But yeah, people here tend to believe what they see in the evening news and what they what their Facebook friends say, and so it becomes again this self reinforcement. You, you don't want to stand out. The fear of standing out is a classic Scandinavian trait that we all know in, in Finland, Sweden, Norway. You don't want to stand out because that makes you strange and, and then you know, unpopular and so on. So I don't know. These people have not looked into Russian history. They don't know Vladimir Putin. They didn't watch Tucker Carlson's interview. Um, it's sad because it's, it's a tribute to how much people in this part of the world trust, <laughs> trust the media. But <laughs> that trust is misplaced in this day and age and getting that mm. message across uh is is hard i mean we both also know some of the people who, who try to do that uh steen roscoe being one of them um but it's hard because people really do want to think the best mm. including of journalists and the journalistic mm. education has become so you know one-sided and and, and unidirectional mm. and yet these people present themselves as critical thinkers, mm. as as brave, mm. you know, discoverers uh, mm. of the evils of Putin and Trump and so on. So that's mm. really the problem. This this too too much trust in the wrong in the wrong sources of opinion. I think people need to be red pilled. I mean that the red pilled is an expression from a film called The Matrix 25 years ago. Do you do you choose right, the right. blue pill or the red pill, right? right? And the red pill gives you the uncomfortable truth which you have to live with and and they, I think people need one red pill event. I mean, I think maybe 9-11 was the red pill event for many Americans. They realized that governments lie. And COVID, I think, was a, a red pill event for millions of others. You know, So once that trust breaks, you see lies everywhere. But I mean, I wasn't, yeah. it wasn't until I was about 40 until I realized that, you know, it's a gradual thing. I mean, I started out my, when with the Swedish submarine operations in the 1980s, you know, and the assassination of Palmer, which I think came from the West. 
And then I, I thought, well, they can do this to a friendly Western country, which is social democratic. They can do anything to anyone. And But it's, mm -hmm. it's yeah. a journey. It's like losing a religious faith, I think, because journalism is the modern religion. We read the Bible 100 years ago. Today we read Berlingsgetidende or the Jyllandsposten yeah. or whatever. Yeah. But um, um, so tell us a, a little bit about what you are doing to fight the good fight then. I mean, you're retired now and you're you working on any projects? Well, a little. I'm, I'm writing for a couple of, of websites here uh, and just starting up again. I, I had I had a job, job which ended a couple of years ago, which took all my time. And now I'm free of that. So. So I'm I'm starting to gear up. I have some historical projects. I'm very interested in in uh, the Spanish Civil War, for example, because you, in that event you see a lot of the same things that you see now: the propaganda, the mutual hatred. Um, that's his historical work. Uh, but I think maybe through that I can also say some things about about the way things are today. But yeah, I'm starting small. We'll see how that goes. And um, I'm mm -hmm. keeping an eye on some of the initiatives I mentioned earlier uh, in in Utah and Austin, Texas, about some of these universities that are fighting the trend and see if there's a way I might be able to help out there. So starting small. Don't you think really the, the internet is sort of the university in a way of the world now? Mm. I mean, I think I'm afraid what our official, the university world in journalism and so on is, um, is sort of like, you know, the communist world. I mean, I, 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 I think a lot about the comparison between late stage communism and late stage American empire, if you like. And I think that communism was authoritarian and so on. And didn't economics didn't work in the Soviet system apart from everything else. But I think also they seem to just promote mediocre people. So if you don't promote free thinkers or creative thinkers, you're cutting yourself, your you, society does probably need an elite that can function. And they just promoted these idiot apparatchiks who couldn't run the system. I mean, whether you like the system or not, they just couldn't run it. And I think we seem to be at that stage now that uh, nothing, none of our institutions are kind of fit for purpose. And I'm afraid, may, I'm going to say something taboo here, but I mean, we've got much far more women in public life than before and maybe they're not as committed maybe and what we've got is uh, white male middle-aged males fulminating and raging on the internet you know but they don't have any power anymore but they have a lot of the solutions to to our problems in the world you know so i don't think the west has declined in that way but uh it's all gone to another place which is tnt or, or maybe or tucker carlson watching the tucker carlson show I've had a fantastic education on all topics just from following some good people on Twitter. What, what do you think mm -hmm. about that? The West hasn't, is, West has just migrated to the internet. It hasn't disappeared. To an extent, to an extent. I mean, I, I agree with you about, about, about Twitter. Um, David P. Goldman, for example, on China. I mean, there's some very smart people there. Um, and um, so, yeah, to an extent, that's true. Um, and some people, some people will, will be woken up by that. We can, always, we can only hope. Um, and uh, the internet has certainly not, that's why they're trying to close it down that's why we have this European European Act just passed few days ago and and uh, likewise in the US there are all these attempts to narrow the opinion corridor but people are fighting mm. back and they're fighting back because they're being red-pilled a little bit every day uh, enough mm. we have to pray and I use the word pray advisedly that there are enough of those red pill people that they will actually, you know, make a difference. And uh, mm. what you said earlier about the influence of, of women in, in, in uh, government and so on, 
that's that's really what Orwell would call crime think. But I'm I agree with you completely. Uh, women mm -hmm. have many. I'm generalizing. I shouldn't do that. Other concerns, uh, being mothers, for example, and you populate the state with women, as is, has been go, has been happening. You're going to get a different state, uh, mm -hmm. and you're going to get a state that cares more about about people's feelings, cares more about looking good, cares more about following, you know, the group. And these qualities are not are not bad, but they're not so functional to a functioning society. And I think mm -hmm. we're gonna I think you were also mentioned this point, we're gonna see more breakdowns. We're gonna see more air crashes. We're gonna see more failures of of institutions because the competent managers are either dead or they've left, as you pointed out. So <laughs> we're going to see some interesting events in that regard, I'm, yeah. I'm afraid, in the next few years. Well, I'll tell you about my experience of South, Af South Africa, which I see Scandinavia in 30 years' time uh, after the break. But we're just going to go into some uh, news headlines now. This is uh, TNT Radio, back after the break. We do have some big news. Listen up. Now, TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a quick look at your TNT headlines. Russia has accused Ukraine of using American-made chemical weapons against its soldiers on the battlefield and says it has the evidence to prove it. Australia's overhauling its navy, announcing the largest expansion to its warships since the Second World War. And the European Union has announced it's sending a fleet of its own warships to the Red Sea in an effort to protect cargo vessels from further attacks launched by the Houthis in Yemen. On air and on the app. I listen on the app. Stay up to date around the clock. I listen, therefore I know. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Hi, welcome back to the Pelineroth Taylor Show on TNT. We've got uh, the academic David Gress, who's from Denmark and has written many books, including From Plato to NATO, History of the West, with that slightly ironic title. And we're talking about many things on this day uh, of the Assange hearings at the High Court in London, which will decide whether he uh, is, stays in the UK and maybe even set free, as some have tipped, uh, or whether he will go to the US for his crimes in revealing a lot of the American empire's dirty secrets. Um, he was, of course, uh, a star in his time, and then he was uh, uh, brought down, as it were, uh, partly because of his um, un pleasant personal habits as uh, detailed by women. And then of course there were those rape allegations, but we won't go into that. I'll try, I, I'm sort of find myself sucked into talking about that, but I'll try and stay away from now. Um, David, so has there been a lot of Assange talking in Denmark? Well, on, on the sites that you and I read, there has been some, uh, but I think the main message from the mainstream media is yeah, well, he's kind of a nasty person, so maybe he should be extradited, even though the extradition is not about the nasty behavior. It's, it's, the deep state hates him because he revealed the dirty secrets. Uh, and, yeah, people don't really want to go there because then that then they would have to believe that the deep state is, really is corrupt, that the U.S. is, is no longer a democracy, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. So I think it's... I mean, many people feel, okay, he had it coming to him for whatever mm. reasons. Uh, and then there's a minority to which you and I belong that says, no, it's, it's unjust. And his personal uh, behavioral quirks are, are irrelevant to whether he, I mean, what he did politically, which was to reveal dirty secrets. Mm. And he should not be punished for that. He mm. was doing what a journalist should do. I mean, uh, Den going back to Denmark, because you're actually the first uh, Danish person I've had on the program. Um, although I, I spent part of my childhood in Malmo, uh, which of course was 
part of Denmark. And I, we still look, we all look to, to Copenhagen as our capital, really, you know, that's mm. another, that's another program because of course yes. <laughs> uh, we were occupied by Stockholm and um, our mutual friends talk about this, you know, um, but anyway, D D um, Denmark uh, is, um, is to me is always stood for sort of uh, the freest Scandinavian country. And also in a way, the most pacifist. I, I mean, I remember even as a child, people in, in Sweden were neutral. I mean, and there was this all, the officials talked about Palma and concern for Africa and, and so on. And a very realist approach to the Soviet Union, not much talk there. Um, but I mean, a lot of the Swedish military types were very anti-Russian-Soviet even then, because Sweden, of course, had a history of uh, going into Russia. And there were some people who dreamed about that. And I always thought that the Danes were much more, in, although you were part of NATO, you were more pacifist in your nature somehow. So I remember when I, we went to Denmark in our teens, Danish male, all, males all looked like Greenpeace activists, I remember, <laughs> you know, you all wore parkas and you, mm -hmm. all ha you all were progressives, in my view, whereas the Swedes are a little bit more straight laced and kind of conservative, uh, if you like. And um, I, so I, I remember you were more, you were more into an alternative culture, as I remember it. And uh, of course, when you, I read a uh, history of NATO and diplomatic archives you were known as the semi-allied i mean the the brits and the americans didn't really trust the danes and you were sort of semi-neutral under your anchor jorgensen uh, prime ministership and then but now since uh, in the last 25 you've been the most vociferously anti-russian and you know you've got uh, Fogh rasmussen a former prime minister who's talking up war with russia all the time and you've got very activist uh, approach towards the middle east what, what happened there? I mean, was it just a myth that uh, Denmark was semi-pacifist or or it, was there a psychological cultural change in Denmark? A little bit of both, I think. Uh, pacifism, yes. I mean, I cut my teeth arguing against that back in the 80s. I wrote dozens of articles defending NATO and attacking the Danish government for, for not fulfilling its obligations. Uh, but it is a remarkable change. I mean, this very... I mean, I mean people back then who were always saying, we must trust the Soviets, we must respect the Soviets' fear of invasion. Some of the same people are now, are now the greatest warmongers. It's mm. very weird because Vladimir Putin is not Joseph Stalin. He's not Brezhnev. He's a Russian nationalist. He's no threat mm. to NATO. I'm sorry, I, I've said this. He is no threat to NATO. But NATO wants him to be a threat. And mm. again, they're the Danish elite being very, you know, a herd mentality back then in one direction, but now it's in a different direction. Of course, everyone's very proud that Anastol Rasmussen is, has, has become such a big shot, NATO and so on. And so people believe what they're told by these, by these types. And um, all I can say is that it's the same kind of herd mentality just mm. flipped. And yeah. Um, yeah. And what worries me, I mean, uh, my mother still lives in Malmo, and of course, it's always been a very peaceful place where the biggest problem is the drunk Swedes returning home on weekend nights out in Copenhagen sort of thing. A very peaceful corner of the world, but of course, one which has always had the straits running right through it with Russian tankers. And so actually one of the main choke points of the entire planet, uh, even though we never talk about it, but I mean, under this beautiful bridge that connects Copenhagen and Malmo, you've got Russian tankers transporting their oil. And of course, the European Commission is now saying to Denmark, can you blockade this, please? I mean, that's going to mm -hmm. create a world war in your, presumably you're in Copenhagen, world war in Malmo and world war in Copenhagen. I mean, is there pushback in Denmark from that? How do the Danes want to be a, the site of a world war flashpoint? 
it's bizarre. It's bizarre because this whole, whole the way the elites in Denmark and elsewhere take this so lightly <laughs> puzzles me because, I mean, back back in the 80s, when there really was a real threat from, from the Soviet Union, people were very, very careful about what they did. And now they're throwing throwing out ideas like blockade the Ursun. I mean, come on, man. That's World War Three, as you said. Um, but there's very little pushback because the elite has made up its mind. Putin is a bad guy uh, and NATO is the good guys. They forget that NATO lost its raison d'etre many, many years ago. It should have been dissolved. Uh, it's going around looking for reasons to to exist, and the big reason to exist right now is 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 Putin, and so uh, these NATO chiefs are creating this nightmarish atmosphere of oh we got to do something because if we don't do something then Putin will take over the world, which is it would be hilarious if it wasn't so dangerous. Um, and again, I'm sorry that people go along with this, just because the politicians tell them what to think, the media tell them what to think. I mean, the mainstream media, of course, mm -hmm. and the academics tell them what to think. And they're all seem to be... There is an alternative reality, the correct reality movement among millions of people, Tucker Carlson is telling us, if you want to find it, there is more information available than ever before. But mm -hmm. there are no pitchforks on the street. There are no. Uh, there is a little bit in the farmers' movement in Europe. But where are the big peace marches that we remember from the 1980s? Denmark was a leading nation here. You know, you had peace marches from Copenhagen to Paris. And now there's no... No, don't remind no, me. Nothing. <laughs> What is it? No. I mean, the, I talked to the two main NATO opponents in Sweden. They're both aged 80 and their internet connections don't work. What, what are we well, going to do? Think, you know, again, it's a question of two things. This, this, uh, this culture of trust. People just trust what they're told. And people are comfortable. Um, people don't really see the existential threat yet. I, yes, you mentioned the farmers. And, and the, the farmers are, are a ray of hope. That's, that's, not, that's not trivial, in my opinion. That, that's very, very significant. Uh, but again, the whole you know all, all these threats from 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 threats of war that NATO is now conjuring up, and of course we haven't even gotten into the whole climate idiocy. But and people haven't realized yet, I think how is how it's affecting them. I mean, everyone is being made poorer by the policy of inflation and and greenery at the mm. at the uh, to to favor the likes of 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 you know uh, Soros and so on. People don't really see this yet, uh, and the pitchforks could be coming out because, well, I don't know. Another thing, of course, is okay. that if you want to have a revolution, you, you need a critical mass of, of young uh, fighting-age men, and, and they're, they're largely gone. The fighting-age men are all Muslims, right? The, the, the right. native people are, 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 right. are shrinking, so I don't know. Right. Okay, on that depressing note, uh, we will have to end this talk and we will continue. Perhaps I'd love to, to discuss with you again. Uh, it's always good to have a fellow Scandinavian on board. Um, this is David Gress, who's written some fantastic books, and I would advise you to where could people follow you just quickly? Uh, well, I'm, 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 I'm on, on Amazon? X slash Twitter. But... Okay. Right. Okay. So they can find you on X, uh, follow your very interesting yes. talks. If you want to find out what's going on in Scandinavia from a truth teller and a guy who really knows what's going on, uh, look for David Cress on Twitter. This is uh, Pelennier Taylor Show on 
TNT. Back after the break. Thank you very much. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. The phony climate war is really a war on the United States of America. Let's take the war in Ukraine. This is insanity. The United States is funding the Ukraine. The entire operation, they refund their civil service. But Russia can attack Ukraine because it's growing more prosperous and how's it growing more prosperous? The same way Iran is funding their proxies. You know what they do? They're selling more oil. And the reason they're selling more oil is because our nation, for some reason, has decided to shut down the energy dominance that we had three or four years ago. My point is, this war would not have occurred if the energy policies that we had through 2020 were left, just as the immigration problem would not be what it is now. I can say that. Well, look at the facts. Look at what was going on several years ago. So what I'm going to be trying to get across to people is the different aspects of this phony climate war have become allied with the idea that this is the way you take down the United States. At least a fundamental transformation. And where did we hear that first? This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather, even though it's been weaponized. It's the only weather you've got. On a virtual road, you can test the limits of your driving ability to see how fast you can go under the most extreme conditions, like when it's dark, when the weather's bad, or when the unexpected happens. The higher the speed, the harder the impact. But driving isn't a game or a race. When you're on the road, just 10 miles per hour over the limit can mean the difference between life and death. You're responsible for people's lives and your own. Slow down and save lives. Geopolitical commentator and investigative journalist, you're listening to Pella Neuroth-Taylor on today's News Talk. TNT. TNT. Welcome back to TNT. Uh, I'd like to welcome Craig Rucker, who is a uh, executive director of the Committee for a Constructive Tomorrow and who is a very, very uh, persuasive and prominent debater on issues that combat all the shibboleths of the environment which we're taught by the mainstream media. And I have to say, reading your articles, it's like a, a it's like a, a television journalist's dream because what you do is you summarize beautifully a lot of the main a lot of the issues about which one has suspicions, but you don't have the time to dive into some of the details of the of, of climate and energy. So you've you've lined up all these targets, and one of them is of course electric vehicles. Can you tell us what is hype or hope or whatever? Is it all the BS, you know, this electrical vehicle uh, promotion that we're being deluged with? Well, first, let me say, Pella, it's a pleasure to be on your program. And I just applaud you and all those at TNT Radio for getting the truth out here. We have a number of our people on our organization called CFACT, uh, which has been around since 1985, that appear on your network. And uh, it's just a beacon of truth that we really appreciate. No, uh, I think uh, electric cars are not the great panacea, the thing that uh, the environmentalists are certainly our Biden administration and what they're putting out in Europe is going to be to our transportation or energy woes. Uh, electric cars have a lot of uh, issues. Now, to be fair, uh, there are circumstances, of course, where electric mm -hmm. vehicles make sense. For those who don't mm -hmm. commute very far, uh, those who have access to uh, uh, charging stations, uh, there are things that can be 
you know, where electric cars uh, find their uses, certainly <laughs> with golf carts or things of that sort. Mm. Uh, but to try and replace our modern, um, you know, fossil fuel using uh, engines uh, with electric mm. vehicles uh, poses a lot of problems, uh, ranging from mm. mileage. Uh, just if you live in the United States, trying to uh, take on uh, the long treks that we often do. I'm about to take off for a few days to go to Florida from Virginia. Mm. That's, you know, a 16-hour ride, which would be made a 25-hour ride if you had to use an electric vehicle. Uh, there's other mm. encumbrances. Uh, the safety factor, uh, electric mm. vehicles have been known to be combustible. And uh, these mm. types of fires that they create are not fires that you could even put out with water. They're chemical fires. Mm. And that's mm. why a lot of garages and other places won't use them. They're very metal mm. intensive. They use uh, six mm. or eight times more uh, major resources to put into them. And they're not really mm. environmentally friendly as uh, mm. the types of uh, materials that have to be used to create them and fabricate them come from developing nations, often with very mm. poor environmental records. And mm. uh, in fact, uh, the energy to, to fill them up has to come from somewhere. And typically it's not wind or solar. It comes from fossil mm. fuel plants, hydro plants, mm. nuclear plants, things that environmentalists mm. Uh, lose sleep over. So I think mm. on a lot of fronts to mandate these things, as you see a lot of European countries doing, and certainly here in the United mm. States, it's not in the best interest of people or the planet. Mm. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you know, Greta Thunberg is this uh, Swedish climate activist, and there are a lot of memes making fun of her, because she famously said at the UN, you stole my childhood. And of course, she grew up in an upper middle class family, you know, so there's the stole my childhood Greta Thunberg kit with her surrounded by very expensive furniture and a loving blonde mother, you know, and then there's a juxtaposition. You stole my childhood, Greta, of a, of a poor African child scrabbling around to find cobalt for the electric car batteries, you know, so it all very much feeds into this narrative, which I had with the previous uh, guest, which was we've got this upper middle class, which is narcissistic cystic and self-absorbed and not very informed and they virtue signaling all the time you know and uh, they don't know much about politics but they make sure and electric cars is a way to virtue signal and it's good if you live in a city i guess and it's good if you want to tout the fact that you are environmental but of course the extra costs are that it's not environmental if you look beyond your the length of your nose as it were and look at the factors like uh congo and and uh, and, and and the fact that it's using dirty power and then um they are, um, uh, but there. I mean, there are mandates now, aren't they? I mean, I, 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 some of my audience will say, "Oh God, Pella, didn't you do your homework?" And others will say, "Well, this is new." So, what, what are the mandates in the U.S. regarding electrical vehicles and their introduction? Well, uh, right now, uh, there is a commitment by some of the major auto manufacturers in conjunction with the Biden administration to try to phase out uh, mm. the use of combustion engines by the year 2035. Uh, they have a long way mm. to go. Uh, right now, the uh, average fleet use of these things is under 20%. It's like 14% or less. Um, you're finding that uh, the ability of uh, auto dealers to get rid of these things, a lot of them have complained that they stay on the lot for months uh, ver and they just have this inventory that people don't want to purchase them. I think a lot of people maybe have this idealism you were talking about until they go and they get the sticker shock of how expensive these things are. Mm -hmm. And of course, a lot of them just mm -hmm. don't meet their requirements for daily living. So unless there's some sort of mandate, I think, and I, I'm not beyond the greens to, it's not beyond the greens to try and push this, where people have no choice mm -hmm. but to buy them. 
Uh, I'm not so sure mm. out of choice, most people will actually mm. elect that. And uh, it's a shame, mm. but uh, you see mm. that that is the route that a lot of Greens are going. But there's been pushback. Uh, you've seen it in Europe with mm. the uh, farmers pushing back on some of the extremist green mandates. We have a lot of communities mm. here that are opposing the uh, mm. renewable energy projects, both the solar and wind mm. projects. I think it was uh, mm. Robert Bryce, who's an energy expert, cataloging these things. He's cataloged dozens mm. and dozens of communities that have actually mm. defeated efforts to put in solar energy and wind energy based on a host mm. of factors, lowering property values, but Just, also endangered species concerns. We'll uh, segue over to the next topic, actually. Well, I'll just say something about electric cars. Sweden, Scandinavia had the coldest winter in, I don't know, 20 years. We've, we've, the snow only lifted this week, and it's been here since November. Anyway, so there's electric car problem there as well, apparently, because they don't do well in minus 20 degrees. But... um. I will. So, so we we you also took your sledgehammer to uh, wind power, which is another progressive uh, uh, dear darling. And I live in a in a small Swedish town, agricultural main agricultural zone of Sweden, and it, it, beautiful countryside, incidentally. Uh, but it's disfigured by all these uh, these windmills, uh, these the, this wind power facilities, which dot the place and are really unsightly. And of course, the average person says, well, at least we're doing something for the environment or saving the planet. But of course, you need to build huge numbers of these things to have any effect. And your article on this explained it in a more mathematical and simple way. So can you just run through some of the stats there on how ineffective wind power is? Oh, my goodness. Uh, wind power, you know, I think as a general rule, you're lucky if you get about 25 to 35 percent of what they claim. So when they say it'll power 400,000 homes, well, that's true, about 25 to 35 percent of the time. Uh, their performance is always uh, what they sell the public on is when the wind is blowing and when the sun is shining, here's what their output mm -hmm. is. Uh, but it's almost never reaches that. And we know this after have, some have gone up and we've actually measured what they had. Whenever you have wind power, you have to have backup systems. Those countries that depend on wind power almost inevitably import electricity. You take Denmark, which is the world leader in wind power, gets mm. a lot of its electricity from Sweden, from hydropower. Mm -hmm. So you need mm -hmm. these backup systems in order to do that. The electricity prices go through the roof. In California, we're looking at 19, 20 cents a kilowatt hour. And in Sweden, where in Germany are over 30 cents a kilowatt hour, Americans are used to paying about 12 cents a kilowatt hour, about a third of what that cost mm -hmm. is because we use fossil fuels, nuclear and hydro as principal and coal as our sources. So you're seeing serious uh, increases in prices and the environmental impacts of wind power are devastating. The American Bird Society says some 400 to 1 million birds are killed each year. And we're not talking just sparrows. We're talking about raptors, uh, eagles, condors, ball, you know, uh, falcons, things of that sort. And the impacts offshore on whales are also devastating. We've had a precipitous rise in whale deaths and whale beachings on our eastern shores. And uh, some communities upwards of 400% since they started the pile driving and uh, the sonar blasting to map the ocean floor and put in these wind towers mm. since about 2016. So uh, mm. the environmental impacts are horrific and the costs are staggering and the reliability. You have uh, tremendous mm. blackouts in areas where this occurs. And mm. if you're going to move to electric vehicles, you need, <laughs> you need consistent yeah. electricity. And it's not going to yeah, come yeah. from and, 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 and But apparently, I mean, they, they were literally, for New York State to have its uh, 
electricity needs met by wind. I mean, you need a staggering amount of these towers, these wind facilities in your uh, offshore, which is just sounds implausible. I mean, you were talking about thousands here. And then, of course, I think, isn't it harmful to human health as well? I mean, the, the swishing sounds of these uh, rotors um, are yeah. damaging to people's um, sense of well-being, if nothing else. Um, you, you have lots of complaints yeah. about that. For sure, for people yeah. that that these things and and if you've ever been by them and I, maybe some of your listeners live near them, you get that sort mm -hmm. of constant. And it depends on uh, your physio, your chemistry in that. Certain people mm -hmm. can affect in different ways, but there have been studies mm -hmm. linking this to health impacts for certain people. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I mean, I've heard um, as a sort of um, I don't read the mainstream media for anything except to know what other people are taught to think. But I mean, I, I'd heard about the negative sides of, of wind power. And uh, but I'd sort of put some of my hope into solar power. But are you going to give me a sledgehammer on that as well? <laughs> a, a little bit. Uh, again, I use uh, I live out in the country in uh, rural Virginia and I use solar power for my gate. I use it as a backup for my water system. I think in low in some instances, it, you know, for your personal use, it's not uh, horrible, just depending on your circumstances. But to power a grid with solar energy is, again, unreliable. First off, it's not exactly environmentally benign. Uh, you look at a, some of these wind farms, such as one that we have north of Milwaukee, you're talking ripping out 10 square miles of uh, wildlife habitat to put in a energy source that gives you very little juice uh, to fund, you know, that's only, uh, you know, when the night mm -hmm. comes, it's gone 50% of the day, you don't get electricity from it. Uh, unless you have tremendous storage batteries to store that energy, uh, it's very difficult. And uh, the costs, again, are, again, a bit prohibitive. So, uh, mm. you know, does solar have a place in the energy mix? I think on a on a private personal use mm. for your own home for various things, yeah, mm. it, it's okay. Uh, but I just also add where these things are being manufactured. By and large, the different uh, rare earth elements that go into the creation and fabrication of solar panels typically come from the most you know, backwards countries in the world with horrible environmental standards. And usually mm. it's Chinese uh, companies mm -hmm. that are exploiting mm. these workers and mm. the ones who profit the most from the solar in, you know, solar industry. Right. So now we've talked about problems and how we've all been deceived, you know, by mainstream media or wishful thinking. Surely you're in favor of nuclear power or is that a problematic as well? No, no, nuclear, uh, we've long been in favor of. To me, if <laughs> we're not particularly concerned about climate change, as you know from some of our other guests who've been on your network, yeah. uh, we think that, uh, you know, the science, uh, they, they bear the brunt of the science. They have to prove that there is some sort of cataclysm. They've had decades to do mm -hmm. it, and every prediction they've had from increased mm -hmm. hurricanes to severe weather events, yes, we have them, but they're not at any greater mm -hmm. rate or lesser rate than they've been in the past. Uh, mm -hmm. So... Nuclear power, absolutely. I, I don't, I, you know, I don't myself support it because of its climate benefits. Because I don't think our climate's under a threat. No, right. But it's a proven source of uh, reliable energy that can uh, certainly power a, a modern, mm -hmm. advanced industrial society. Increase our life expectancy. It takes less space. The amount of waste that comes from a nuclear plant mm -hmm. is every energy source produces waste but in, in terms of what you get out of it this is a very small amount of waste that can be reprocessed and used over and mm. over again and stored safely deep inside the earth so to me it's a no-brainer i think nuclear power is uh one of the energies of the future yeah uh, what i was thinking about nuclear power as opposed to coal and gas or whatever is that that's something surely environmentalists and the pro 
the sector you represent can unite on because it's uh, it's it doesn't emit uh, CO two, and as you said, the the safety uh, record is pretty good. I mean, I talk to people about Chernobyl because I spend a lot of time in Eastern Europe, and they and they say, how many people do you think died there? And they say, oh, hundred thousand. You know, I said, well, twenty eight people died after the reactor fire, and then some people got prostate. Um, uh, curable cancers, you know, um, of the thyroid, but far less than you think. How many people died? More people died at Chappaquiddick than died at Three Mile Island, you know, that joke. Yes. <laughs> Ted Kennedy right. killing people. Yes. It was less safe to be in Ted Kennedy's car than it was to be but, living in Three Mile Island. Exactly. But so and, what, and what is wrong? Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, what, what's wrong with that? We've got three minutes left. What's wrong with us in the West that we're doing what we're supposed to have that we're so clever We've uh, we've sent probes to Mars, you know, all these things. We've cured. We've got cured the world of smallpox and everything else. And yet we do we do these incredibly stupid decisions that you've cured me of in a in a fifteen minute interview. You know what's wrong? Is it is it money? Is it power? Is it people's psychology? Do you ever wonder about these things? Well, Why yes, I do. Mad- you always get into trouble when you guess other people's motivations. I, I found having gone to 25 UN summits around the world on climate and other things, you have different actors. You certainly have those who are well misinformed and just need to know, get the right information. You have those who are committed ideologically and view the environment as a means to push kind of a more liberal, radical agenda. And you have the money makers. You have a lot of these companies. Uh, I saw this in particular when I was in Dubai at COP28, the latest climate su- summit in uh, December. And uh, you just have people that are looking at this as opportunity to sell their wares uh, and relieve people Mm -hmm. of the mythical carbon dioxide list. So I think that a lot of these actors are playing together. And uh, a lot of those who have the funds and the money are looking at this as a way to make a lot more money. So, uh, you know, that's what's doing it. Uh, Coupled with those Mm -hmm. who are in our school system, training our kids to be fear Mm -hmm. and have anxious Mm -hmm. thoughts about everything. So there's Mm -hmm. something hardwired in the human psyche that always wants to believe we're in a time of apocalypse and the end is near. And that's what you're fighting against. And also, isn't there legal issues? I mean, just to wind up, we've got two minutes left. Can you just say a few words or a few sentences about the the case between uh, Mark Stein and and Michael Mann? Because they uh, tussled over climate change and uh, Mark Stein looks as if he's facing quite a lot of legal problems there. Just to summarize in a few sentences there. What's going on? Well, Mark, Mark Stein actually took on, uh, you know, uh, a Michael Mann, who was famous for making this hockey stick uh, that uh, mm. took data from back uh, about a thousand years ago. Mm. When there weren't no temperature records, they used tree rings mm. mostly, put them together mm. with modern temperature records, created a, a sharp increase mm. in temperatures based on this shoddy piece of science. And of course, it was discredited. Uh, and mm. my, and uh, Mark Stein, of and, course, and quickly, what, what happened to him? Because we've got to end there. Well, he, Mark he, Stein went before a judge. They found that he actually didn't cause any damages to the guy because he's been accredited, right. Michael Mann. But he okay. has to pay a million dollars to make a statement that climate skeptics okay. like ourselves got to quit intimidating them. A million dollars, that's the price of trying to tell the truth. Thank you very much, Craig Rucker. This is Pelineros Taylor Show at TNT Radio. Thanks, Craig. Bye.